Welcome to the first episode of 2019. Hope everyone had a good year, whether you partied your face off or stayed at home and watched a movie. Uh, anyways, it's just me, Cody, on this one. Dustin is on vacation in the mountains getting his shred on. So in this episode, I talk to Jesse Bertner, snowboarder extraordinaire. For those not familiar with Jesse, he's a legend in the snowboard world, and he's Alaskan. He went on to create a whole new kind of snowboarding, which uses things like traffic cones and side streets and things like that to snowboard on, rather than traditional things like uh, going in the backcountry and building a jump or you know climbing to the top of Tin Can or Turnigan here in Alaska. So it's a little different. It's, it's more urban snowboarding. And so we get into that. We talk about the old Borderline Alaska days, which is a, uh, a shop that my dad, Scott, and my uncle, Jay Liska, started back in 1989 and kind of like revolutionized the entire Alaska snowboard scene. And I mean, it was it's pretty indescribable. We actually use that word in the podcast uh, to describe the time. You know, I think one of us say that it is. It's it's one of those things where when you refer back to it, you always refer back to it in anecdotes because to try to describe it as a whole uh, is pretty indescribable. So yeah, Bertner was was back for Christmas, um, and he was able to squeeze in some time to sit down with me. Shout out to Bertner for that one. And as always, we give a shout out to the company men, Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, also our brand new company man, David North. I remember back in the day, David North and Sammy Lubke, they were super good friends and were kind enough to kind of include me in a lot of their Girdwood shenanigans back in the day and let me stay at their place when I needed a place to crash in Girdwood. And we all just kind of, I don't know, did what kids do during summertime and as snowboarders in, in Girdwood, Alaska. Your support really helps this podcast keep going. So if you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You might also consider giving us a review on iTunes or sharing a podcast with a friend. I mean, honestly, anything helps. One minor note here. I didn't realize it at the time, but it turned out there was a little bit of a mic malfunction. So for the first three minutes of the conversation, Jesse's voice is picked up through my mic until his mic clicks on at about three minutes and like 11 seconds. I could have taken it out, but I decided to keep it in in order to preserve the integrity of the conversation. All right, enough with this intro. Let's drop into this conversation with Jesse Bertner. Mike is hot. Mike's hot? Mike's hot. Is it recording? It's recording. That's what that means, dude. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work! Bertner, let's drop into this. All right, let's do it. Good man. <laughs> how's, uh, how's Pika, your wife, and son, Ollie? Oh, they're great, yeah. Pika's good, yep. She's uh, busy being a mom and doing a bunch of other stuff, and we filmed today, so she's still filming and um, doing her thing. Art, she's doing lots of art for snowboards and other projects. And Ollie is just a little four-year-old. He's killing it. Right on. I, you know, I remember, I remember at one point you told me that you didn't care if Ollie snowboarded 
that if it turned out that he was into something else, uh, that would be fine as long as he was happy. And I think that yeah. that seemed kind of like a, like I actually thought about it and I was like, okay, why did that, why did that mean something to me? And I think it was because back in the day we were all so tribal when it came to snowboarding and skateboarding. It's like, if you were a rollerblader, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were, you were something else and you were funny and you were kind of a kook. Right. So I think what you're trying to say is it sounded like bullshit when I said No, 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 not at all. I get no, really what I'm I'm trying to get at is like what is parenthood done? You know, like right. when you and and I thought I actually thought it was really sweet when you're like as long as he's happy, I'm cool. Yeah, and I mean that is and it is, you know, true, but it is also bullshit. I want him to snowboard and skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> now the truth comes out. <laughs> you want him to be into what you're into, but like really what is snowboarding and skateboarding? It's really what, like, it's purpose. Like, that's, you just want them to have purpose. And, like, that's all you can really ask for your kid. It's like, what has driven me was snowboarding and skateboarding as a, you know, as a passion, but mainly snowboarding. And that's been my purpose. And it's just been so solid for me that, like, I just want him to find that big purpose or have an opportunity to. I, I kind of picture him being into the board sports stuff as it's it's just going to be his life. It's just like flowing around him. Like he was out at the skate park the first day we were allowed to take him out of the house because he had jaundice. So it was like day six or seven of being alive. He was at the skate park, you know, and like to him, skateboarding is like football or baseball or was to us, you know? Yeah. And, you know, like, it's just a, a thing that your parents are into or your, that people do. And it's not like it was for us. Yeah. It's like for us, it was a way to opt out of what we saw as the normal trajectory and choose something more for ourselves. Yeah. And it still can be that for him because it's still that free form expressive activity. But it's like way more commonplace now and like. It's a little it's, less rebellious. It's it's not rebellious, you know. Yeah. Especially not in Seattle. I mean, it is once you get down to the nitty gritty. If you're out street skating, you're breaking the law. There's no way getting around that. But like otherwise, it's just the lifestyle. It's like we have a skate park across from my work, that altogether skate park that like they just have kids ages three to twelve in there every single weekend. They're teaching them how to skate. It's all super inclusive parents are just off to the sidelines and like the kids are learning all about skateboarding and it's just like this activity that everyone gets invited into whereas like you know when I picked it up it was like I was rebelling I had to almost like force my way into it my mom yeah. just wasn't down and but anyways no no not anyways dude just keep going it's a podcast <laughs> tell me all about it <laughs> you know uh, one thing that I, I always think is uh, well, that I think about since I've gotten into journalism and nobody in my family has ever gotten into journalism. So I'm, I realize that I'm kind of trying to, uh, make my own path. Yeah. And if I wanted to take the route of snowboarding, which I did for, for a long time, but if I, if I wanted to continue with that, it would have been, I think a little easier because my dad had kind of already done it. My dad, my uncle Jay had already kind of blazed that trail. Exactly. And I could just, I could, you know, I know the people to call. I know, you know, say a company I'd like to work for that, you know, that I have like, 
brand allegiance to or whatever. But with with this, it's like I with journalism, it's like I have to I have to do it myself. You know, they my parents can kind of help me out with just some I don't know, like ideas that they have, but they're not in it. So yeah. I guess what I'm trying to get to is that. Which is nice, right? It, it's kind of cool. I mean, I think the when I see other people that have parents in journalism and then now like, you know, it's second generation journalists. I'm like, man, that must be cool. Like they didn't have to maybe wade through the bullshit of uh, just just doing a lot of bullshit to be able to do the actual work. If that makes any sense. Totally. Yeah. 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 You have a little bit of a leg up. Yeah. I like I could imagine Ollie being into snowboarding and skating and getting deep into it. And I, that would be awesome, but definitely not a prerequisite at all. And I would just tell him, I would definitely tell him things I wish someone had told me, you know, for sure. Yeah. Cause like my dad is big into sports, but he didn't know anything about snowboarding and, uh, he didn't know what was going on in the day to day. And like, yeah, it, you know, he would always tell me like, you know, protect your body. Like life is long, you know, you're not, you can't hurt that body. That's the only one you have. And like, that doesn't really sink in, you know, what we were doing, the culture we were in. It wasn't about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was about sending it. Yeah. <laughs> Point it. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Commit. But, uh, you know, I would tell Ollie, like, use those transitions. <laughs> like, you don't need to go to flat. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they're going to hurt your tranny knees. Everywhere you go, find <laughs> tranny. And that's, that's a little bit of why you call, uh, named him Ollie, right? Because that's... Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all in, you know? Yeah. Board sports, definitely. And what was that exactly? Can you, can you explain why you call them Ollie? Well, why you name him Ollie? I mean, it's just basically the trick, the Ollie on the skateboard seemed like a cool doorway to the world so if you know anything about skateboarding you know that pretty much every trick starts with an ollie and it's not exactly super easy to ollie you have to learn it but once you're once you do learn that ollie you're in you're a skater at that point if you go ahead and learn how to do that and then every day for the rest of your life you could work on that and be just fine and get better and better at it. And it's never going to be time that wasn't well spent getting a better and better Ollie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like no one's ever going to be like, why do you Ollie all the time? <laughs> it's like, Dude, your Ollie is amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, the, and, and it just, this you can use it to just launch yourself into all sorts of directions. You can go up things, over things, off things. You can travel through the, the city at, at, with ease and it, you know, Every trick starts with an ollie, a kickflip. Everything starts from that point. And so it just seemed like this jumping off platform that his name could represent that sort of like solid, a jumping off point to be, to travel through the world with ease, you know, so he could be successful at traversing all challenges. Do you try to include like, like snow and skate words into, into like your everyday, like vernacular. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't need to try. Yeah. It just happens. Yeah. He, he's so funny. Cause he'll, yeah. Just the last few weeks he'll be like, dude, Oh, what the, that's what that, all he says. That? <laughs> yeah. like, dude, daddy, Spider-Man. I dropped my Spider-Man toy and I was like, what the, 
<laughs> he sounds like a like he sounds like me, you know. And Pika doesn't change the way she talk. She talks around to me there, so he's definitely gonna be a part of that culture. We go to the skate park. We go in. He's taking skate camp. We go to the mountain and go snowboarding. He comes into Mervin one day a week with me. You know, so he's living directly in the center of board sports. He's just going to grow up with it around him and just feeling comfortable with it. And uh, if he wants to pick up more on it, more power to him, you know. But I actually had to have a talk with him the other day because I was like feeling like I was already pressuring him like into skateboarding because I got him to he's going to this skate camp. And it's so hard as a father to like watch your kid try to do the thing you love and not want to like get in there, you know, and just soccer dad out or like do it better or like try, you know. And I just had to tell him the other day, I just stopped and I was like, look, Ollie, like this is something I love to do. It's super important to me. My hope is someday we share this together and we can skate together. But if I'm ever coming on too strong, just tell me. <laughs> I told. I mean, he's four. He's not going to remember it. That's a pretty adult conversation to have with your four-year-old. Yeah, but like, I'll just keep having it with Yeah, him. yeah, for sure. But like, I had to do that for myself. Yeah. Like, I'm going to have this conversation now so it's easier to have it the next time. If I just keep having it. Consistency, it. yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I, I read this thing a while back and I don't know whether, I don't know whether it was in a, in a short story or whether it was like in an, uh, an article that I read in a magazine, but it was, there's an old woman on a bus and there's a child on a bus and the old woman is talking to the child in full like adult mode. You know, she's not like berating him or anything, but like talking like how we're talking now. Yeah. And then somebody asks the woman, the old woman, why are you talking to that child like that? It's like, well, if you want a child to be an adult, then you need to speak to them like an adult. Oh, a hundred percent. When do you think is that moment that you need to like a hundred percent speak to a child like an adult? Day one. Day one. I mean, you could still baby talk your kid, but like I've never dumbed my language down for Ollie. I just ask him to try to learn the words or whatever. And, and you have to explain stuff. But when we explain stuff to him, we go all in and just say it exactly how we would say it. Like, Ollie started saying uh, Jesus Christ, kind of like using it like a curse word, you know, lately. Like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, okay, Ollie, look, that's kind of, that's a bad, that some people consider that a bad word. And, and then today Christina said something or, and he was like, that's a bad word. And we just broke down like everything to him about all Jesus. the bad words. No, Jesus. Oh, okay. And religion and Christianity and just laid out this like, base base level information on our way to the movie theater just like this is why some people think that that's a bad word this is that's actually someone's name here's the deal and uh take you know like and that's your introduction to religion and we didn't explain it any other way than you and i would talk about it yeah and like i said it's not necessarily gonna sink in but it's just makes it easier to have that conversation next time. Now he knows something's up with it. Now next time he'll learn a little bit more, you know. And What was his response? Well, he was kind of interested in Jesus like from like a superhero standpoint. 
What movie were you, were you guys going to see the new Spider-Man? No, we were going to see Bumblebee. Oh, okay. But like the way where you know, like, oh, he did all these things, but did he do them or did he not? Yeah. That's up to interpretation. Is it fact? Is it a story to teach people things about themselves? How do you look at it? There's a lot of differences of opinion. And he was like, oh, well, like, that sounds pretty, like, superhero style to me. (laughs) 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 So he was thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, always just trying to give him tools. Like, if you're going to blaze into a room and start using Jesus Christ, you better know a little bit about it. We talk a lot about this concept that I have. I don't know if we've mentioned it in a while, but I think it definitely pays to mention it here that the the metric for human intelligence for a very long time has been like uh, being able to read and right now i think that being able to read literacy is at like an all-time high all-time human high right like people can read but there's so much information out there now the next step is critical thinking mm-hmm. and it seems like already you're talking to ollie about critical thinking yeah, I would hope so. Absolutely. I mean, that's all you can do is just give them all you have and not dumb it down. That's a big thing I learned pretty early in my life is the idea of of dumbing things down and that you're not doing anyone a favor if you try to slow it down for them. It's better off to just come in hot and make them come up to your level. That's like a good movie you like, or a good book. You're like, you open it and it's just like, you know, the revenants were running through the halls of blah, blah, blah. And they throw all these words and crazy scenarios at you. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> but you're like, I don't care. This is pretty cool. And then by like page 100, you're, you kind of have figured it out, you know, like, yeah. and you're better for it. And instead of, you know, instead of having it spoon fed to you, you had to work for it. Now you own it. You feel like it's part of you and you, you work for it. Mm-hmm. And if you have to work for it, you appreciate it and you're proud of it. And so now this knowledge is important. It takes, it's higher up in your, in your brain because you work for it. You know? You've earned it. You earned it. And, yeah. and so you hold it special. So like, that's like the whole concept of not dumbing things down. Like, it's just like, get on my level, Ollie. <laughs> get on my level, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to talk to you about the uh, the borderline days. So yeah. kind of like early borderline days, if, right. if you don't mind transitioning here. No, not at all. I mean, we got to talk about it. We're in the same room together. Yeah. <laughs> so so a little bit of background for listeners. Uh, my dad and Uncle Jay started Borderline, a local snow and skate shop in Alaska. So, Jesse, my, my definition of that time is probably a little different than yours. How would you define that era? I mean... It's, it's mad. It was magic. You know, it was, it was better than fiction. It was like, you can't even hardly tell people about it now inside the snowboard world and have them believe you all the way. (laughs) And like all that we had going on started by your dad and the scene that he created around him, the swirl of energy, but it was powerful and fun and wild slightly dangerous uh stimulating uh yeah all the opportunities that i got started there and uh the energy surge from that created my trajectory you know 
So like, yeah, it was everything. <laughs> I mean, it, like, dude, what are we going to do about these borderline days? Like, what are we going to do to respond to this era? Like, I know pe like people, you want to do something. I want to do something. Lando wants to do something. Borgie, he is doing something. Mm. We're all doing our thing. But like, it's like, dude, you can't respond. You can't come back from that. That was like heavy, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, I think that's, that's a pretty perfect way to describe it is it's like indescribable. And here's the thing is I think that when you really know something is important and you know that it, it is, it's like monumental and I guess completely epic is you always refer to it in anecdotes. It's yeah. never like a big picture because you, you can come up with something like indescribable. Like that's, that, that's nothing that's boring. Right. Yeah. So you can say something like, dude, remember that? Remember that year? That Brady Farr did the hundred foot frontside board on the on that hundred foot rail that we had in the Glacier Bowl, and and Gary's running for his camera to like go film it, <laughs> and he only gets like the very last part, you know. Anyway, it's just it's and those was, moments. Wasn't that the night that Mike Mull let them up on the tram and he frontboarded the kink rail? You know, like exactly like right. Nine other things happening during that exact day of that were like. Just crazy. Yeah. Wild. Everyone's had times in their life like this, but the further we get away from that time period, it's just like, geez, dude, like the scene was popping. Everything was coming up at the same time. And we just all were together at that moment. And it was just fire and, and it burned some people, but it also was like amazing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And camp was a big part of it. But let's not forget about the borderline videos. Absolutely. JD yeah. Deuce and yeah. Scott wrote us ten thousand dollar checks and just handed them over to us. To you and Jason Borgstead. Yeah. Like I'm eighteen. Eighteen. I felt old. That's not old. That's <laughs> a baby, dude. <laughs> yeah. Eighteen year olds are babies. And I'm like, hey, Scott, we need to edit all this footage together for the movie that we've been making under your name, and it's gonna be ten thousand dollars. Like, here you go, $10,000. You know, like, that's heavy, dude. Yeah. That's a lot of money for a shop. And it. But and he, what year was this? Well, that was probably, that was probably Northern Exposure. That, that was that. That was Northern Exposure. So that was probably 98. So I was probably, I was 19 for the, that. That was the first big check. The first movie we made, like, on our own dime. But we made it at, uh, we edited it at, uh, Greening? No, not Greening. Uh, Chugiak? Chugiak High, High School? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then the second movie we edited at Carl's Action Video. Carl Augsted? Augsted or? Augsted. Yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, he's a snowboarder from the first original crew of Alaskan snowboarders. And uh, anyways, that was crazy. But so for a couple movies there, Scott like kicked in huge and uh launched that whole thing big commitment at the right time for a big result <laughs> like and that's putting trust in in a couple you know yeah teenagers yeah borgie was a little older you know but uh i was always kind of the on the ground guy who was more talking to scott on that stuff borgie was kind of the he was the big time pro at the time that was bringing the whole thing legitimacy so Big risk. Thanks, Scott, you know. So I know that 
whenever people talk about Borderline, people that were in it, they, they always mention my dad mm-hmm. and how, you know, most people are like, oh, it can never happen again. You know, I mean, right. is there any way that it, in your mind, that it could happen again? Yeah, I mean, probably not just like that, you know, because a lot of it was wrapped up in where snowboarding was. And so it was like, not only was it was like snowboarding, it kind of popped, but it wasn't the right crew of people to really push it on Anchorage to really blow it up the way it should have been. And that's what Scott was, was the right guy. And snowboarding was still gaining popularity. And then we were right there with the right people at the right time when it reached the biggest point it's ever been up to this point. You know, it was, I don't know if volume wise, if there's more or less snowboards sold this year than there was in 1995, but hype wise, it was the shit to be a snowboarder in 1995. Yeah. But it wasn't the shit to be a snowboarder in 1989. Yeah. And so that whole trajectory right there, that's exactly my trajectory. You know, it was weird and it was like only stoners and and kind of the freaks and geeks were getting into it in, you know, 87, 88, 89. And then by 95, 96, it was like the shit, you know, and like you were really cool if you were into it. And so, and that's a lot of, I mean, borderline went well past that, but let's just say 2000 to 2002, you know, that whole time period there was snowboarding's biggest ride. Uh, It got to its best point ever as far as visibility and just people being hyped on it. I mean, it was what kids wanted to do, you know? Exactly. I mean, when do you think snowboarding became because I, I i still think snowboarding's cool i just think that uh it has been kind of like genreized you know there's there's definitely like back when you know the days that you're talking about it was like everyone was the same kind of snowboarder you know like today you wouldn't see a snowboarder like scott stevens in a competition against travis rice it just wouldn't happen right yeah. you wouldn't see those two going at it but if those two had existed back in, like you said, like 87, 92, then yeah, they'd be the same type of snowboarder. Yeah. Well, you were just, there was so few of you that you were just all together no matter what. Like you saw a guy on the hill at Alieska, and if you saw another snowboarder, you would just look at each other, go up to each other, be like, what up, man? Hey, I'm Jesse. Hey, you know, I'm whoever. Uh, Dan. I'm Dan Coffey. Nice to meet you. You snowboard. I snowboard. Let's be best friends. Yeah. Want to go to the garage and do karate? Yup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sounds it was... like a scene from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> nah, it's Step Brothers. <laughs> oh, it is? Okay. <laughs> okay. But like uh, basically everyone that would snowboard was friends because you were just this small tribe. Yeah. And then as it got blown up and people are getting older and older and it goes along, your dad snowboards, you know? Yeah. Like my, like I am a dad and I snowboard and I think it's awesome. What does that say for the kids below me? That says that's probably pretty whack. Well, I think, <laughs> I think it's different though, because you're good at snowboarding. I think it's, it's, it, there's a difference between a kook dad or a kook parent being a snowboarder, right? right? The weekend warrior rather than somebody who is like, you know, recognized by the entire industry. Well, obviously, but there's a lot of 
everybody that's just into it. It's just, it became, which is a good thing because the snowboard industry relies on it, but it became a viable option to every single member of the family when they went on their Colorado ski trip. Mm -hmm. Snowboarding became, for a while, the main, like, let's all switch to snowboarding, you know? And that was huge for the snowboard industry because now everyone's switching over and skiing's like, whoa, what the fuck? Oh my God, what's happening? Mm -hmm. You know, and then they're like, free skiing. <laughs> Let's do everything they do. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, saved it. Yeah, you quick, know, hang your bandana off your snow pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now it's like back to kind of how it was where, well, now the way it is is like maybe Timmy snowboards and Jenny skis and mom snowboards and dad skis mm -hmm. you know it's just and maybe they all do either or depending on how they're feeling it's just sliding down the snow another way to do it you know it doesn't come with as much cultural identity just pre-attached yeah you don't have to buy into any of the cultural identity to take part in it whereas when we were coming up it was like very much all about the culture yeah it was it was our identity i mean yeah. even to this day i snowboard exponentially less if at all because it's so expensive and it's hard for me to get out there with you know all the other projects i have going on but i still identify that way i can't i can't identify as anything else yeah totally uh we talked to caleb kinnear and uh chris marshall about evoke their new movie mm -hmm. and they totally seem i mean chris chris is about my age but caleb like he's right there same mindset as yeah, we had yeah. and so i wonder if if that if he is like a kind of a kid, like out of his time, like he should have been born like earlier, you know, <laughs> among like the borderline days or yeah. if it, if it will come, it kind of come full circle. I think it'll come full, full circle, but I also think, you know, there's a couple of Caleb's in, in every town and those, and they're the, they're driving it and they're keeping it going and making it epic. Uh, I think there was probably a lot more of him in our era, especially my teenage years. You know, it was it was everybody <laughs> like everybody in seminar school at service, which was another thing that was part of my whole coming of age story. Service high school. Yeah. When we did seminar school, which is a school within a school, Socratic learning, everybody in there, for the most part, they would all travel and snowboard with us too. Like everyone that we were hanging with in seminar school met us up in flat top and at least learned snowboarding and got into tricks and they even started filming videos. I mean, there was a big pack of us, you know, mm -hmm. and that was just one school. And it was like, those packs were like all over the city. There's probably so many different reasons that, that it's not really like that anymore. Yeah. But one, one realization that I've had since I've moved back in 2011 uh, after having gone to college is that the era that I grew up in, um, I kept, I keep looking for it. I kept looking for it, whether it was, you know, trying to recreate it with crude in a different, like in a different way. Right. Um, and what I'm realizing is that maybe that era wasn't very representative of Alaskans per se. It was more representative of the, like Alaskans that were born during that time rather than like Alaskans as a whole, if that makes any sense, because Alaskans, at least people in Anchorage, like they love REI, you know, they, they like their, they like hiking flat top. They like, you know, things that, right. that we all 
now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, that's that's cool. You know, they can totally do that. Yeah. But when I'm, when we were younger, like, dude, those are those are the kooks. We were always niche, even when it felt like it was big time. It was niche, you know, like the main, the everyday man. That's a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> we've only ever communicated with a small amount. We, I think, a little bit more of them tipped over into the punk rock counterculture. It was just a convergence. I mean, think about like uh, Warp Tour, all that stuff. X Games, Warp Tour, whatever. That all started right in that same time. And so it just culturally, as a country and globally, everything kind of tipped towards action sports, snowboarding, skateboarding, blah, blah, blah. Like around the world, you know, it was like the new hot thing. And that just shifted a lot more kids over. And we were positioned to be a part of that at that moment and like the things i think about would just so people have a little context is some of these movie premieres that jason and i and borderline put on where movie premieres are always crazy but these ones were crazy they're nuts people were tripping like so many kids i'd never seen ever and i know a lot of people in this town then you know mm -hmm. a, a lot of people and just hundreds and hundreds of kids just freaking so hyped so stoked and they're all decked out in the gear and their hair's green and like you're just like who are these people where did they come from yeah and where did they go <laughs> yeah yeah exactly where did they go <laughs> yeah i mean i kind of have an idea where they went either they're they're still holding on to that i wouldn't even say holding on to it it just it's something that that gave them purpose and still gives them purpose and they're still doing it or you know just like with any any group you have people that you know get on drugs or they find something else they're interested in you know it's just humanity yeah totally and snowboarding has a pretty high barrier to entry like you already mentioned financially so at a certain point you know snowboarding really captivates like that 13 to or maybe a little younger now maybe 11 to 18 that's like prime time because you're still living with your folks and you get the board bought for you and maybe there's a program to help you get a lift ticket or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then the barriers increase, you know, and you get, you get out of college or whatever and shit gets real, you know, and like how much is it pass to Alieska? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. How I, I, I think, I think it's, <laughs> oh, you mean like a season pass? Yeah. I think it's around a thousand. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> it was like 700 when I was in high school. And you, and, and the thing is, is you, you get that, like mm -hmm. it would be well worth it. Yeah. Now I think of that price and I'm like, I mean, can I make it, can I skip work that day to be able to go and ride POW for however, and POW doesn't last as long anymore up there because there's so many more people. Like yeah. it's gone in like two runs. Yeah. Well, people are tuned into the, to powder these days. It's what everyone's up there for. There used to be a certain group that was like, let's get the powder and everyone else is like, Yay, the runs. Yeah. <laughs> like Japan style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, let's stay on the run. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, mentality is... That's how it is in Japan. People well, are just into the runs. Well, yeah, I mean, for forever. Even there, though, it's because of so much Western influence, everyone's there for POW now, too. But forever in Japan, it was like, you stay on the groomer and the trees are sacred and you're not even supposed to go into them. But there's no ropes. Yeah. So when Westerners showed up, it was just like, yeehaw, you know? <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. I've always wanted to go to Japan. Oh, you'd love it. Um, okay, so you eventually moved out of Alaska. Do you think that you had to get out of Alaska to fully make your mark and do what you did with Think Think? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had to go elsewhere to to get that going as to its full extent for sure. I mean, you just got to be where things are happening. If you want stuff to happen 9 out of 10 times, you got to be where it's happening. I mean, it's just so much easier. Like, you want to be a pro skater. You want to be on Andrew Reynolds' radar. Get on Baker. You got to go down and live there and skate the parks those guys skate and skate the spots they skate and just be part of the, the scene. And you can always go back and be home again, you know, at some point. But um, I think it's pretty important, yeah. Especially with, like, getting on lib tech and stuff like just things like that wouldn't have gone down if i was up here no way not in a million years since you work for mervin lib tech gnu now from a business standpoint is it like why would we sponsor this kid up in alaska who no one you know no one's really going to see whereas we can sponsor this kid that goes to north star every day that so many people are going to see i mean is does that factor into the equation at all oh definitely I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're trying to be a sponsored snowboarder, you're you're signing up to be a, a channel. You know, that's what you are, is you're a channel. And how many views is your channel getting? How good is the content? How many views are you getting? And what could that be blown up to if we were part of that program, you know? I mean, that's what's rad about the internet, though, and Instagram and everything, is that a kid from Anchorage could do rad stuff if they were motivated and a kid from Alaska anywhere and put out awesome content and get noticed and people would be hyped to flow them product and get them involved. But even then it's just tough to really be involved unless you have access to that person on like a regular basis, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, then it would just be contingent on their social media, which I think is kind of, uh, it can be kind of a fledgling thing. You know, like how, how long is, is Instagram going to be around for 40 years, 30 years to be able to, you know, support you as a, you know, as a brand, yeah. you know, if you're uh, kind of annexed from the rest of the world, mm -hmm. you know, like in Alaska. Yeah. You definitely have to just, if you're an Alaskan shredder who wants to break in and you're listening to this, like you definitely got to travel around. Everyone does, you know, you got to make your mark at other places and go down and I'm going to do a six months i'm gonna do three months in tahoe i'm gonna do two months at baker i mean it doesn't mean you have to give up being in alaska and it's just like yeah there's a lot more light down there in the winter you know? <laughs> <laughs> like this is that much more daylight to get stuff done <laughs> like it's tough up here right now it is Especially yeah you're not jibbing and you don't have a generator and stuff well and it just snowed in town like in yeah. the last month yeah it's yeah yeah exactly you know and just so people don't think singling we're, like we're singling out Alaska, I interviewed Yellow Wolf like back in 2015-ish. And I remember asking him a very similar question that, you know, does he think that he could be the person that he is uh, if he stayed in Alabama? And he's like, hell no. You know, and same thing with uh, same thing with the people that he was with. Yeah. And one thing this dude Bones Owens said, who was his guitarist, was like, hell no. Like those those people know all of the the shitty stuff about me you know back mm -hmm. back where i'm from they know that he's like oh that's bones owens like he couldn't he couldn't jump over the high jump you know at uh yeah, yeah. in high school or whatever <laughs> yeah. you know where whereas yeah. like the place that he moved to you can kind of 
recreate yourself yeah. and you can be this new person. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. And and furthermore, I mean, you take your people and your culture with you and there Alaska is like always with me. Like the people, most people know that I'm from there and they're always just, even though I've lived in Seattle 20 years, they introduce me, you know, like, oh yeah, Jesse's Alaska, you know, like, and I have this story behind me of Alaska and I've brought pieces of that with me and shared them with the snowboard world and the spirit of the borderline camp and the borderline videos and the borderline crew and all of that has been projected through what I've done set up shop in Seattle and spoken to the world from there has carried I've carried Alaska with me you know yeah and that's so I don't feel like bad about leaving here I love this place I come up here three times a year I work at the Alaska State Fair at your dad's quesadilla shop <laughs> yeah 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 so I uh, love it and but I love I love that I moved too, you know, I, I always wanted to get down into the city because I was up on the mountain up in Glen Alps, flat top. And when you look out, you see all the twinkling lights, Anchorage, like my grandmother said, it looks like a bed of jewels laying down there. Like what's going on down there? All those lights. And I got down there and that was part of being in the borderline crew. I got down there and eventually really got down there and got in there with angel and adrian and micah and the whole borderline skate crew and filmed those guys do their thing and i was in the city and that felt rad and then i was like i said you know what's down there what's down in seattle you know what's down in washington that's like a bigger city i want to go down there you know and that was where i needed to go and that was enough <laughs> I didn't go any further than that. That's a big city. <laughs> yeah, Seattle is huge. <laughs> Feels big. <laughs> so, a little more more background here. Uh we kind of alluded to to Think Think and that was that was a uh snowboard production company that you founded after JB Deuce. Right, yep. And maybe I know that it was kind of creative differences as far as as far as like my knowledge of the situation goes between you and Borgstead. Um I mean, I, I guess I'm not expecting you to like drop fully into it, right? But I mean, like, just to give some perspective of of why you went from doing something with you know ten thousand dollar checks uh, with JB Deuce to starting your own brand, Think Tank. Right. Well, the ten thousand dollar checks had definitely stopped at that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we don't need to tell the whole story here. I feel like it's been told. But you know, Jason and I made seven movies together, and each one of them is is a treasure. Yeah. So, and then, you know, it's just kind of like a band. It's time to do something else. There's definitely creative differences, but more like just creative outbursts for me. Like just wanting to having a vision on something else and just needing to go there and, you know, awkwardly handled, ultimately resolved. And, uh, sorry, I'm a little verklempt. Yeah, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna do it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so yeah, we did those seven movies. That was, that was a good run, you know, and then think thank. We did 12 movies in 10 years or no, 
more than that. Can't even remember. 15 movies? That's crazy. <laughs> and we're working on a movie right now. Really? Yeah. Do people know about this? Uh, not really. Not entirely. But it's Scott Stevens' movie. Okay. But uh, I'm part of it. And Is it that's... the Stevenson Project? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's called Susie Greenberg 270, the movie. Uh, is that really what it's called? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Hey, what's the story behind that? That's his YouTube name. <laughs> okay. Susie Greenberg 270. And Susie Greenberg is like, uh, in the credits of Seinfeld, it's just a name that comes on. And when Scott was setting up his YouTube, he loved Seinfeld. So this is when he was like a teenager. Uh, he just uh, chose that name and it was probably taken. So he just added 270 because he's a border, you know. <laughs> and uh, that was his YouTube channel forever. And this movie is like, it's all new, but he's also pulling like hundreds of hours. He's documented his whole life, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, have you seen Exit Through the Gift Shop? The guy, like the Banksy yeah. movie? Yeah, yeah. Where they reveals the documentarian's room that's just stacked with tapes to the ceiling. Yeah. It's like the, the look into like a madman. Is that how Scott's room is? That's how Scott is. Yeah. He's, like, <laughs> he's got like a, he's got a, a GoPro on his head. He's got a night vision camcorder <laughs> in his hand. And he's like, just, the, just the perfect millennial. <laughs> yeah. Dude, he's like, <laughs> but he's been going through all this footage from his whole snowboard, skateboard life. And then we've been pulling in, all of his, the people that are important to him and the crew and just trying to rally around this project uh, that kind of celebrates Scott's energy. And we've been, this is our third year working on it. So we've been filming for this for two plus years. That's awesome. And, and so is this more of a documentary or is it like a snowboard film? It's a it? snowboard movie. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a freestyle movie. Okay. <laughs> it's just about freestyle life. It's like <laughs> the snowboarding sick. That's just another way to express yourself. Like Scott just loves physical expression and humor and like everything he does is like fun to be a part of. Like, yeah, like I just always think about like we're walking along and he like has like a Coke bottle and he just like throws it over his back shoulder and makes it in the garbage can. And like you get that on film. That's like a trick for this movie. Like you could express yourself in a lot of different ways. Like we got fingerboard, tons of trampoline. He's got like two skate parts already filmed. Like this guy's got like skate footage coming out of his brain like (laughs) skate footage is just psycho for this and then you know snowboarding yeah and then dogs uh, how babies like ollie as a baby like ollie doing funny stuff like scorping on the trampoline (laughs) saying funny stuff and yeah yeah scott's got his australian shepherds these dogs and he gets them doing all sorts of stuff and so it's all just gonna like come together as like this really funny movie about the energy that is Scott Stevens. You know, I, I feel like this is this is just kind of the um the evolution of the movies that you've been making. You know? Yeah. You've well, you've popularized this new genre of snowboarding where you snowboard on and over like pretty unconventional things like traffic cones, uh sidewalks, shovels. I mean before that you personally basically were a traditional backcountry, like traditional urban snowboarder, right? Right, yeah. I mean, what 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 prompted that change? Kind of going back to the J.B. Deuce, the Think Tank, it was like always wanted to make movies that were uh, like philosophical in their basis. Like, let's take a philosophical concept and explore it through snowboarding. And uh, that was like the basis of Think Tank was like to have these philosophical concepts and 
and to have like a fun, like avant-garde expression to go along with the snowboarding. And those were rad movies. Uh, Thunk, Cue the Birds. Cue the Birds was really weird. You had some sick shots in that one. I like that video. Yeah. That was like, you know, that was probably one of our, that was probably our weirdest ever movie. Really? <laughs> like from an artistic standpoint. We did a okay. lot of, you know, like bringing all the projection out, wearing masks, all the bird masks, that weird wine party. You were at that, right? In Tahoe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think I was. <laughs> at night with like the paper plate masks and like the wine glasses, all this just <laughs> Kind of like snowboarding, eyes wide shut, uh, paper mache, you know, but then at the end of the day for the video parts, we were still trying to do like switch back nines, cab nines, go yeah. bigger than we did last year. Let's do our best ever back seven. Like, oh God, at this point, I've already done 10 video parts, maybe more. I've done at least two back sevens in every single one of them. Here we go. I'm going to do another back seven. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, what else is there? And and meanwhile, people are getting better and better. You get hammered a few more times. You're just like, fuck, man. Like, you know, I think that's when people start dropping out of snowboarding because they're just, they don't see it for themselves. They're like, well, I did my best ever, did my best ever back five over the biggest jump in the park. And then the next, uh, the next time I tried it, I cased it and blew out my knee. I guess that was it for me. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I'm not going to go any bigger. What else is there? You got to go bigger. That's the only thing you can do. You go bigger or you quit, you know, and like that didn't sit well with, with me, you know. And and meanwhile, Micah Hollinger is like completely changed his skating. He was the big, he was gnarly. He was trying Sullivan, you know. Sullivan Arena Ledge, right? Rail. Oh, rail. Oh, the, yeah, the yeah. down flat down. Yeah. And he was he was cavemaning that, right? He tried cavemaning. He also tried 50-ing it. Ollie. Oh, my gosh. Like, he was, you know, he was the psycho. Yeah. But he pushed it hard and, you know, got pretty close to being really hurt. And then he he also had this creative spark the whole time that was there, even when he was getting gnarly. But when he decided to switch it around and go avant-garde he went in all the way like only micah can and that energy that his transition like really sparked like me and gus and uh genovese gus, gus engel gus sean engel, genovese yeah. and so this would have been patchwork patterns and the fall leading into patchwork gus was gonna move in with me in seattle and we were just like dude like we were talking about micah we had been hanging out with him all summer we're talking about him, the things he's doing. Like, we got to do this on snowboarding. Like, what is it about Micah? Like, why is it so exciting to be around him? And like, why don't we just bring that to snowboarding? Like, he's not out there with us because he doesn't snowboard a lot. And let's just bring him with us, you know? And like, so like Gus is like, dude, he loved the outfits. You know, he loved, he, Gus is a whole nother two hour conversation we could have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So he's going to bring it in his way. And I'm thinking about how I'm going to do my thing. And Genevieve is like, you know what? Yeah. Like, dude, I want to do, you know, this kind of stuff. I want to like nolly over things and I want to like approach it from this other angle. And meanwhile, Scott Stevens, I had seen him at Hood and I was like, he's already doing it. Like he had the spark too, like the Micah spark. When he sent me his first clips in December of that year, filming Patchwork, he sent me like 60 clips in like December. 
Like I wasn't going to use them all, but like, dude, it was like, oh my God. And like, he was doing like fast plant 360s on off of things and like already just one footing his face off and no one was thinking about that. So another like convergence zone happened and that's how Patrick came about. Like more and everyone got involved on their own level. And there was like a letter that I wrote that says all of this to everybody that was in the video that I sent to them that says like, Hey guys, this is what we're doing. Like we've had these avant-garde concepts, but we've been snowboarding trying to keep up with Mac dog. Mm-hmm. And like, so let's go avant-garde with our snowboarding as well. <laughs> like still push it however you want. I'm not telling you how to snowboard. I'm just saying there's no rules and let's get weird, you know? Yeah. And like everything matters. Like what you're wearing matters. Like, like it all matters. It's all part of the shot. And that was like the change right there when it was like invite everyone to just kind of go off. Like let's stop chasing Mac dog and let's create our own thing. Cause I felt like cue the birds and thunk riders like Dre their, their footy was way on par with the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Like Andre Spinelli. Yeah. And we just like, could we, hardly sell any movies you know no one knew who we are and we weren't going to get in we thought we could get in by being as good or almost as good as the best but that's not how it works like you know if you're if you're listening at home that's not how it works like you got to be better than or way different you know and I, i didn't understand that i was like oh you just do like what they did like they did this we did this why aren't we why aren't we where they are? Yeah. And people always think that. They're like, I'm doing the same. Why aren't I where they are? It's like, you're doing the same. You answered your own question. Mm-hmm. They're already doing that. Everyone knows who those guys are and they're doing it and they're doing it well. So why does anyone care that you're doing what they're doing? You don't have a name and you're doing what they're doing. Yeah. So go do something else, you know, like be yourself. And so like we gave ourselves permission to be unique and, uh, basically got out of the space race it was like (laughs) i don't give a shit how big you went or like what how many corks you did like this is my conversation i'm having with myself and my friends if you think it's cool come on in you know it's a conversation it's about expressing our personalities and what was the reaction to that after you sent those letters out everyone was down so down i mean it doesn't take long for someone that works so hard at these tricks and doing their thing to see that this is cool. Like we're going to do something here, you know, and this is fun and like different. And, uh, not every day I go out has to be scary. Like we'll warm into the scary moments, but while we're doing that, we're going to be getting interesting footage. People are going to want to watch us dick around just as much as they want to watch us risk our lives. Mm -hmm. And the dick around tricks are super hard by the way. Yeah. (laughs) I was today I was bouncing around on two buoys for like three hours. <laughs> Did you get any shots? I, I got a clip. Yeah. Like it, maybe not three hours, but a while I was just battling this, these two buoys. Yeah. Like bouncing on them. That's, it's, it's just it's super fun. It's like you give yourself this little problem and You've been there battling a trick. Yeah. It's crazy emotional ride. It's like this insurmountable emotional maze. And you just have to keep battling it patiently and going through the ups and downs of, am I going to get through this 
trick. Will I succeed? And you want to feel that rush of like, fuck, I did it. Do, yes. you, have, do you have a process? I mean, as as you get older, you know, you, you, you learn how to work through different problems. And I know that when I was younger and I'd be kind of battling a trick, you know, I, I would I would freak out or, you know, you have like the John Cooley method of punching your snowboard. Um, or your head. Yeah, or your head or, you know, you just you, you have no other way to kind of express yourself because I think that and this isn't this isn't a knock against Cooley because I've done it myself. Uh, but I think it's because you're you're very immature in your 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 thinking process. It's like, I you know, that's not going to help you land the trick. You're just you know, that's a manifestation of your anger. Two hundred percent. I mean, you're talking about a trick you have to learn. It's working on that process is like going to the gym and working out. It's like something you can improve. And like what I do lately is even I don't get to snowboard as much. I've got a job and uh, I'm in an office in a cubicle four days a week. And but every morning I go to the skate park early and I try to get a trick that seems like I'm not going to be able to get it. And I'm working on that process. And when I'm trying a trick on my snowboard, I think back to those battles I had up on the hot plate at Green Lake. And I'm like, you know what? I did that. Like I worked through it and it was successful and I'm going to work through this and it will be successful, you know? And it's yeah. just working on that mental process, like a muscle, a mental muscle. And that's super fun, dude. Like if anyone <clears throat> wants to know why they should be into snowboarding or skating or doing tricks, like, why do you do that? It's like, dude, because you get to like have these battles just to have a battle is sick. <laughs> like something to fight is awesome. Like I've got all these battles. They're all tricks and they kick my ass, but sometimes I win, you know, and that's sweet to have that and take that late into life uh, is, is cool. And I hope to be able to like keep battling, you know, even if it's not at the level, some level, that you think it should be at or whatever. It's just about that battle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a few years back after Think Think premiere here in Anchorage, a bunch of us went out for uh, food and drinks and you told me, you told me how, how important having created something was. And you talked to me about crude and how it didn't matter how many issues I produced as long as I put everything into whichever issue I was currently working on. Uh, that way I would always have this like genuine time capsule. Do you think back on your era of think think videos like that? Like their little time capsules? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, absolutely, dude. Like how lucky am I to have those as my scrapbook, <laughs> you know? And uh, I mean, looking at the battles you won. And not even the stuff of me, but just everyone involved. And like the 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 way the movie is built, the art and titling and the rollout and the songs and just knowing what everyone put in to get that, like what Christina put in. Oh man. I remember how those titles came about and how Christina, you know, screen printed 30 flags with everyone and then hand painted all the names. And we rented the fans and our U-Haul truck and Mike, we made Mike Mo drive a U-Haul up Snoqualmie pass. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then we had fans blowing names and, you know, just all this crazy stuff and just to be able to watch it. And it, it's just like a really cool yearbook, you know, like a, a yearbook as if high school meant something, you know, imagine, imagine high school was awesome. 
<laughs> and you were looking at your yearbook. <laughs> yeah. Like, like maybe even like a personal scrapbook. Totally. Of like, things that, yeah. that you personally like. And that's like. how Christina and I keep track of time, too. Like, we'll be like trying to decide what year we got married or something, you know. She always remembers. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm like, no, it was in for life year. <laughs> like i only remember things based off movie that's why i gotta keep making movies because i don't remember when anything you just remember shit <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so i've written a lot of articles about snowboarding and and in every single one of them i've included some element of humanity and i think i do that because something like snowboarding or skateboarding or whatever it is you do you know we talked about you know you don't essentially don't care what Ollie gets into, but is like, as long as he's happy, like that's, that's your main prerogative. But my point is, is that whatever it is at its core, it's about identity and belonging. You know, mm -hmm. I think that that's a little bit of the, the overarching theme that we've been talking about. What are some of the most important things that have come out of snowboarding for you? Community was the first probably. And power of voice. Um, self-expression, just being able to express myself physically in a way that I wanted to, like I never wanted to try to be good check boxes of in sports, you know? And so, but I was a very physical kid that wanted to, I, w I would love to have been good. I could have been good at sports maybe, but my brain wasn't there. I wanted to do different than I always wanted to do different than, and I'm sure you were the same way. Like, I want to be a little bit over here doing my own thing. And snowboarding was that for me. And so when I found it, I grabbed it and uh, it gave me the right to express myself. And then adding the video aspect into it just uh, really just gave me a tool to communicate uh, because I think that's basically the end of the day. What everyone wants to do is communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, there's billions of us here, but we're all alone. You just want to communicate your experience with each other and feel like, I get you, man. You mm -hmm. know? <laughs> like, <laughs> same here, you know, or that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Look at this. You know, and that's what snowboarding is. It's like, that's cool. Like, you 5 0 those bike racks. Chaka, chaka, chaka. Look at this. I'm going to do it like this. Whoa, that's cool. Look at this. You know, like, it's a conversation. It's communication. And it's a really fun way to do it. And it really uh, helped me think about communication in that way and really sparked just a kind of a desire to communicate. And I, I hope that my communication days are at their beginning, you know, like I got, I don't have too much to say, but I just like saying stuff over and over in different ways, you know, like basically like figuring out the puzzle. Yeah. And like, it, like, uh, kind of like, um, uh, kind of like praise, like praising, the experience, like I love life and I just like to praise it, you know, like snowboarding gave me a nice vehicle to, to be like, look at this, this is sick, like life and let's film it and show just how alive you can be, you know, and like, I, I like to do that want to, you know, do that in as many ways as possible and share that with Ollie and Christina, obviously, uh, she's, Christina's actually the master behind all things i've heard you say that before <laughs> yeah she's actually the one with all the skill and abilities <laughs> she's got like such uh she's so talented at so many things and i always have like this kind of super pressing 
feeling to like create and just move. So with her abilities and my like movement, we're able to create cool stuff. Do you ever feed her an idea and she's like, I think this is what you mean. Yeah. 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 I mean, she does all my board graphics. So, and I always bring her just like this kind of abstract idea. And then she has to turn it into a snowboard that sells in a store. And it's like, uh, so she's definitely a interpreter. Master interpreter. Yeah. <laughs> and with a lot of the visual concepts behind the movies and stuff. So, and then she actually like basically directed a right turn, left turn, which was Think Thank special projects. The year we did Think Thank Almanac, we also did right turn, left turn. Sean Lucy was in charge of Think Thank Almanac. And then me and Christina did right turn, left turn, which was like myself, Max Warbington, Chris Larson, uh, Chris Beresford, Freddie Perry. Who am I forgetting? Don't forget anyone. <laughs> that might be it. Anyways, really small crew and uh, kind of a pet project of ours. And she worked on it the whole year with me. She was pregnant with Ollie. When I edited that movie, I was bouncing Ollie in the little bouncy chair. And uh, she really like, I started editing that movie and I was really just kind of going along my normal path. And she like came in and just like shut the whole operation down. She like watched what I did and was like, what are you doing? This is exactly what you've always done. Like, let's do something else and like back up, start at the beginning. And she, you know, she challenges me a lot. She calls me on my bullshit mm -hmm. and uh, makes me. I think the best, best women do are the best uh, counterparts do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. totally. Yeah. So that was actually a big turning point to remember to like take people's advice or listen to what they're saying. And like, yeah, she's been instrumental in all that stuff. And that movie turned out really good. I was really stoked on that one. Not on the internet. Not on the internet. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so I asked our Instagram followers what they would ask you, and I pulled a few. Okay. So Gary Milton asks, looking back, would you change anything? Uh, no way. Dude, no way. I mean, I love that everything went down just the way it was supposed to because you never hiked up tin can faster than me. <laughs> Gary didn't <laughs> I'm going to beat you up to the top partner one of these days that's my goal in life <laughs> I was always faster than you when you were working with Think Tank you got faster than me later but not when we were together but not in time yeah not in time <laughs> now uh, uh, I would have got wise to some stuff a little earlier kind of a slow learner late bloomer would have been nice to be a little wiser to some things about the industry or just a little earlier i can't even think about a specific thing but you know if i knew then what i know now <laughs> <laughs> so brandon smith asks did you realize while you were filming the jb deuce videos that they would produce so many legends no and that was important because you don't want to be thinking about something like that when you're making something you just want to be in the moment. I didn't really realize how amazing Micah and Adrian were until we left, you know? And I think as far as legends go, those guys are the legends. Like 
They're still good. They're still doing it. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I've, I forced Micah to come out and film, made him take a bunch of slams, but <laughs> he's so amazing. He's my favorite skater forever. And then Adrian, you know, he turned pro and he's still, he just, he was, yeah, he's, he was on Thrasher the other day and those guys were just, those guys were visionaries because they, they saw what they could in videos. They saw the videos and they just went all the way up to the top. They pushed past what they saw even. And like, that's like every town probably has that kid, but like, man, that's tough to do. Like they didn't want to just get to where those guys were. They just decided to be better. They just pushed themselves so much freaking further than any other like skater had in our town. And it was sick, you know? I don't know. What do you think nurtures that? Is it the, is it the scene? Is it the friendship? Is it the community? Maybe with those two, it was like a healthy rivalry. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Adrian is such a little, little funny little kid. <laughs> <laughs> I filmed him when he was so young, like maybe 12 or something. Like that might have been Polar Bears, Dog Sleds, and Igloos. He might have been 12 or 13. Definitely not 14. That one premiered at the Diamond Center. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't go. You, you didn't. I was too nervous. I didn't go until 100%. I would never go to a premiere until the third one. Borgie made me go. Really? Yeah. He's like, dude, it's so cool. I'm like, dude, I just can't do it. And then uh, I went 100% and uh, I sat by Ben Bogart and I had the best night of my life. And Bogart was so hyped on everything, you know? And so every premiere... I possibly for the rest of my life, I sit by Ben Bogart. I just look for him and I find him and I go right next to him because I know he's going to be hyped, you know? <laughs> Still to this day? It, it, oh, yeah. If he was in like, it, yeah. If I could be sitting by Ben Bogart watching any of my movies, absolutely, I'd sit by Ben Bogart. <laughs> if you had the ability to fly him to any <laughs> premiere that you were at, just oh, so we could sit next to you? Oh, dude. That would be sick. <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, yeah, I think that answers the question. But um, didn't know they were going to be legends. I mean, they are legends in our minds. And uh, yeah, I think also like it should be stated that there was some other really good skaters around. And there was always like just kind of a feeling of, upper echelon activity going on like um thomas noonan was such a good skater and eric ellington lived in our town for, for a few years and he was eric ellington yeah <laughs> and he was a young kid then but he you know like my first day skating day one i went to hanshu and thomas noonan and eric ellington were there that's day one for me and so like there was just this feeling of like you bring your shit up as high as you can. If you're going to be part of this scene, bring it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think Micah and Adrian probably responded to that, too. It was cool. That is cool. Yeah. So Travis Mathis, I hope I'm saying that name correctly, asks, what's the secret ingredient in your dad's salmon quesadillas? <laughs> and maybe a little back uh, backstory about the, the salmon quesadillas. It's at the fair and then the uh, the Saturday market here in Anchorage, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. We started at the Saturday market in like 93 or something. And um, 
and we started the Alaska State Fair maybe 15 years ago or so. And it's called the Salmon Express, and uh, salmon quesadilla is our specialty. And the secret ingredient is that there is no secret ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> Kung Fu Panda reference. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we just use good ingredients. Well, secret ingredients, wild Alaskan salmon. Dude. Yeah. Grew up uh, commercial fishing in Bristol Bay, whole family. So we used to catch the fish for the quesadilla, but it got to be too much of a hassle to try to process that fish just for the salmon quesadilla stand. So now we buy it from Copper River Seafoods. But good fish, good food. Right on. And uh, Caleb Kinnear asks, when are you going to drop your next part? Greenberg. It's going to come out. It'll be out next fall. And this is in Scott Stevens' video. Yep. Greenberg 270. Susie Greenberg 270, the movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been filming a bunch for it. So I've got footy. I've got two minutes at least. And trying to film all winter if my body is willing. Okay. So Mike Dempsey, to close this out asks what do you think gus engel is wearing right at this moment what do i what do i want him to be wearing <laughs> no I, mean, I think it's like <laughs> what is he wearing <laughs> i like to picture my gus front row at a leonard skinnard concert <laughs> no uh uh gus right now he's, he's definitely wearing something that would put a smile on my face um, I wish he was wearing what he wore to the uh, Steezen for No Reason premiere, though. What was that? Wasn't that the one where he wore the leopard pants and the frilly shirt and the makeup on his eye and his hair was all frizzed up? And did he have a, a red coat on, or was that not it? I don't think the red coat was part of that at that point. Okay, right now Gus is wearing the red peacoat. That's what I want him to be wearing. The, the red peacoat is the most iconic Gus. The cheetah pants, the red peacoat, and the little hat. Like the little brim hat. Patrick Pattern's outfit, basically. Okay, well, so if Gus is out there... Oh, no! Okay. Right now, he's wearing that huge jacket that goes down to his ankles that, like, a woman... Like, a mom wears when she goes to get the paper in the <laughs> <laughs> I think I like that one better. <laughs> yeah. He wore that at Baker, Patrick Pattern's here, and he does, like, a back three down these pillows, and this jacket is just everywhere. And everyone always remembers that clip because of that huge jacket. Has there ever been a time when you're just like, Gus, what are you like? What are you wearing? Only when it would, only because it would like seriously affect our entire day. In like, what way? How? Just because like it was like, dude, the clock is on before this guy is like hypothermic. <laughs> like we're in the backcountry and he's wearing you know hammer gloves with all these holes in them, and like nothing makes any sense, and he's got all cotton and it rips and like. You're just like, dude, we got to get our clips really fast because this kid's going to freeze to death. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it was just, dude, like, please, like, and it was all authentic from Gus, like, authentic expression. Yeah. Like, the clothing wasn't from, like, a group of people that were like, we dress like this. It was authentic in that Gus wanted to express himself. And so even when he made big changes in his appearance or whatever, it was authentic. Like, that's what's so amazing about that kid. Like, yeah. He's a real artist. I I have always thought Gus is underrated in snowboarding. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, he was – he has a huge trick bag and, 
like and then instrumental in an entire movement that shaped snowboarding a, a certain quadrant of it so yeah i mean absolutely underrated but i think there's a lot of people that really appreciate him so you know, no one's talking about Gus right now, but there's a lot of people out there that are like, that's my dude. Yeah, for sure. He might be, Gus might be a slow burn. I think so. Yeah. I think we're we're headed for days like that in snowboarding where we get to remember some of these other people and like really like celebrate where we came from. And mm-hmm. like skating is sort of in a more of a renaissance, cultural renaissance right now with that, which is cool to see because I think we're headed that same way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think I think that'll wrap it up, dude. Nice. Thank you for being on the show, Jesse. Yeah. Thank you, Code Man. You can support local grassroots journalism at patreon.com slash crude magazine. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a platform that makes it easy for you to support content that matters to our community for as little as one dollar a month. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by Cody Liska and Dustin H. James for Crude Magazine. Intro music was produced by Alcoda Beats.